Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome to Game Store Profits. This is episode 74 of the show where geeks get together to talk about God. My name is Luke Navarro. And my name is Drogan Anvils. I mean, Mike Perna. Mike Perna. And I'm Grant Woodward. And I'm Peter Martin. And you guys don't know who those guys are, maybe. No, we're secret. We've been living in your closet all this time. Yeah, sneaky hosting. These are the guys from uh, Inroad's second podcast, uh, Saving the Game, though you guys were around. Well, I don't know if you were around before Inroad's, but you were around for a while before you joined the network. We started in July of 2012. Okay, so I can't, uh, I think Inroads is about a year old, so you guys are a little bit older than us, but you guys have a show that's very similar to Game Store Profits. Uh, why don't you guys tell us about the show, in case folks might not know. Sure, I'll be happy to. Our show is Saving the Game. You can find it at savingthegamepodcast.org, and we are a show about Christianity and role-playing games, and why you should be doing both. We, our goal is to basically bring Christians and gamers kind of back to the table, as it were. We have some interest in board games, we have some interest in video games, but the core of the show is faith and role-playing games. Basically, as much as anything else, it's a show about storytelling and using stories to create connections. Our show is also about outlines, apparently. Well, <laughs> yes. The, these guys don't use them, and I can't fathom that. <laughs> no, it's yeah, folks, These uh, the, the differences between Game Store Profit and Saving the Game... We focus a little bit more on board games, they focus a little bit more on role-playing games, and they are dramatically more professional than we are. Uh, we, we like the wing and a prayer version, uh, so we're going to see what happens today. I think maybe you're going to need to be instilling order. I'm not sure I would use the word professional, but I think I would use structured. I would say that it's only fair, because not that long ago I was on their show... And they presented me with an outline. I said, what the heck is this? And yeah. then we then we proceeded to have the most laid-back, non-outlined thing they've ever had. So they show up to our podcast, and it's only fitting that they come with an outline. And, you know, it we're, yeah. it's, it's merging worlds is what this is. That's true. In fairness, I'm keeping the outline to myself. Yeah. So, you know. He hasn't even <laughs> shared it with me, and I'm one of his co-hosts from Saving the Game, so... That's okay, though. The Modrons have invaded Pandemonium, so it's... Exactly. You know, there's a very good chance that we're going to be uh, talking role-playing games today, but i got to tell you, Mike, you know, I got, I've already been scolded more than once by our Game Store Profits listeners about the fact that we didn't talk about board games very much last episode. What? I, I, look, our listeners, they are we can't win. fanatical, apparently. Uh, no, no, we can't but, win because, because, like we pointed out last time, when we when we forget the part about talking theology and only talk board games, we get yelled at for that too. Apparently, we ride a very fine line. Well, yes. I, I guess it was more about we were talking too much about video games and role playing games and things like that. And we're going to do it again today. So before we do that, do any of you guys have any board games that you've been playing recently that you uh, you want to talk about real quick? Netrunner. <laughs> oh, jeez, Netrunner. No, no, I'll, uh, I will gl- gladly yield the. There is an expansion. Yes. Did you get the expansion? No, I haven't. Okay, that's probably healthy. Really, healthy, Grant. Really, it's time to introduce you guys to a little future Mike. Hi, kids. Future Mike here to tell you that 
Netrunner Thursday, a tradition that has been started by a friend of mine and I, that every Thursday night we get together to play Netrunner with our newest and greatest decks, uh, was brought back into effect after a bit of a hiatus. And because the guy I play with, his name is Kevin, uh, Kevin being such the amazing person that he is, bought his own copy of Honor and Profit, the newest expansion to Netrunner, and bought one for me as well. So I'm just going to tell you right now, I am already cobbling together a Jinteki deck that will rule the world. Probably not, but I'm certainly going to make one anyway. All right, future Mike out. Enjoy the rest of your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen is a great game. Oh my goodness, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yes. I cannot tell you how, how fun that is. It's a, it's a very complicated game. You wouldn't think so from the reviews, but you have two separate games happening at the same time, and trying to figure out the rules for that on a table outside the game store on International Tabletop Day was a little intense. But if you can sit down and figure out the rules ahead of time... My memory is correct. Ladies and gentlemen, is the like massively chauvinistic Victorian age morality... Uh Card game, yes. It's nineteen oh two. Yes, the board it's game. where you have the gentlemen playing the stock market and the ladies buying dresses and accessories and servants so that they can appear the best at the ball at the end of the week. In other words, after seven rounds, awesome. the goal is to have the most elegance on the ladies' side, which is accomplished by money earned on the men's side. There are two factors that make this more than people having fun by themselves and being chauvinistic. First of all, typically speaking, the ladies play the gentlemen playing the stock market and the gentlemen play the ladies begging for money for dresses. That's part one. And that's (laughs) hilarious. Second, you may never talk about money, right? You may never talk about money directly, like how much money you have and how much things cost and all conversation between partners, which are typically couples because that's more fun must be done in high Victorian English. Everything's in character and everything is in character, sir. It's amazing. Uh, Because it very quickly gets, you know, to to quote a Penny Arcade comic about it, you don't understand. This shirt and this dress are from the same designer. Does that matter? That is the only thing that matters. You get (laughs) conversations like that all the time and it's hilarious and it's wonderful. Especially when you have four other couples playing against you and your spouse it's so much fun personally i think there's there's nothing more entertaining than sitting down to a a night's gaming and having a large bearded gentleman tell you that he needs a new party dress before the ball next week or he's going to die exactly (laughs) (laughs) all right folks so i i hope that you just see you've seen now what these guys have done to us i asked for board games and they gave us role-playing Yes. No, no. Well, but it's, yeah. it's kind of within a board game, I promise. Uh, likewise, I was actually very fortunate. I got to meet the guys at, again, International Tabletop Day um, last month. Got to meet the guys who make up Tuesday night games. And oh, you got, they you got were, to do the two, two rooms and a boom. I got to play two rooms. Well, I got to watch two rooms and a boom. I was busy doing other stuff, but my wife got to play two rooms and a boom. Uh, and a bunch of my friends, we were all swarming at our local game store, got to play two rooms and a boom with the guys who made the game which was really fun that i that kickstarter could not arrive in my mailbox any oh, sooner without me it's going nuts. so cool it's so cool uh i i am really tempted to try and pick up a copy at some point even though i don't like 
kind of the the werewolf style, you know, you know, who are you kind of games. Because I played like Avalon at International Tabletop Day. It wasn't my bag really, but you know, it, it's just not my thing. Same reason I don't like Battlestar Galactica. Oh, I'm being secret, except I can't keep a secret, and I can't figure out anyone else's secrets, so that kind of ruins the game. I've often found out that in those games, I tend to be the one that, even if I'm telling the truth, people assume that I'm lying. Yeah, whereas people automatically just read me, apparently. I'm too easy. You should not play poker, in other words. No, I shouldn't, and I learned that lesson the hard way. Ooh. Yeah. The last time I played, I walked away with... A significant profit because I got a straight flush drew into it it was amazing and I just I wrote it out from there and I said you know what that's probably the last time I should ever play so I, I'm never going to play this better than I just did mm-hmm. it's kind of like the the lottery one of my coworkers gave us like the the get lottery gift tags one year with our Christmas presents we exchange around a little bit at work I won $120 off of the thing. It was like a multiply winning thing. I was like, well, there's my lottery luck for my entire <laughs> lifetime. Never going to touch this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've completely burned out that luck. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as, as somebody who plays with dice on a regular basis, for all that I don't believe in luck, I do a lot of things to make sure my dice roll right. <laughs> so... It's it's a real thing, whatever anyone says, and whatever I say. Dice training? Dice training, um, organizing them properly on the table, making sure they're all grouped together so they don't get angry at each other, making sure I have all of them with the same color, making sure that they're in the right bag, you name it. Like, whatever works. Oh, wait, this one has rolled badly three times in a row. Out it goes. It goes into the cup. <laughs> I was literally about to make fun of you for that, but then I was just playing D&D with my buddies earlier today, and I had to make sure that all my dice were in a row, in numerical order. Otherwise, everything—it's the—it's the only aspect of OCD that has crept into my life—is the order that my dice have to be in. See, and I have multiple sets of them here, and I do dice architecture between like <laughs> actual rolls. Yeah, because we tend to do a lot of in-character role playing, and I'm kind of fidgety. So we'll be in the middle of our Shadowrun game, and I'll have like this nice like pyramid kind of a thing set up, and then I have to roll something. And I'm like crud what do i pull out of here <laughs> well the answer is knock it down and see what you get <laughs> yeah except for that would that would be rolling like 20 sets of the the thing that i'm supposed to be rolling at the same time right and, right. and to and clarify for our one. listeners well to clarify for our listeners we're not playing Shadowrun with the Shadowrun system we're playing savage worlds so he doesn't actually need to roll an entire tower full of dice no i need to roll two yeah a d6 and something you know, Shadowrun. Else. I had a character in Shadowrun 4th Edition who had starting stats. Like, this was a a basic starting character who ended up rolling 20d6 for some stuff. It was was absurd. (laughs) No, he was an elf. Oh, okay. Yeah. Specifically, he was an elf and an. uh, Yeah, he was an adept, basically being a sneaky, gun toting, sneaky dude. And he snuck. Sneakily? This actually brings up a lot of what we wanted to talk about with you guys tonight, because we do talk a lot of tabletop, we talk about our our Pathfinder play-by-post, and we talk about D&D, but it's only been recently that I've kind of expanded out. I'm sure that there are going to be role players who listen to us who say, that's not lesser known, people have been playing that for years, and I know that, but I'm talking as far as the average person on the street. The, I don't know much about gaming, I've I've never heard about role-playing games, 
pretty much at that point, D&D is everyone's go-to. Yeah, I'm playing yeah. D&D is the same thing as I'm playing a role-playing game. Right. Well, w- that's because I'm playing a role-playing game. People get you bl- blank looks, and then you say, you know, like D&D, and they go, oh. oh. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've played three systems in my whole life. Really? I've played D&D. Yeah. <laughs> Pathfinder and uh, Star Wars. Well, I can give you a quick cure for that. Go to conventions and sign up for games that are systems you've never played. That's what I did at Fear the Con, uh, and it was a big eye-opener for me because it was a chance to try things I would never have a chance to try locally because my local gaming group is... They tend to run very long-running campaigns. Um, We had a, a prologue for a vampire game that was supposed to be a six-week mage game that turned into a three-and-a-half-year campaign. Wow. Yeah. I'm in the middle of a nine-year birthright campaign. It's how these things go. We run long games, which means I haven't had a chance to try my hand at a lot of stuff locally. So conventions are my big out for that. You know, hey, here's a guy running a thing, and I don't know what it is, which means I should play it. Yeah, when I was at Fear the Con, I think I went through five different systems just over the course of two days. Yeah, exactly. One of them was Magic the Gathering, so I'm not sure that really counts. One of them was, and then I had a panel, but I four slots, four different systems. Burning Wheels, Burps, um, The Trouble with Rose, and Savage Worlds. Yeah, yeah, like it's it's been for me, it's been kind of a, a, a new experience to get into all these other systems because for the longest time. You know, I, I have very limited gamer community. The mm. fact that I have one at all has been a lot of hard work on my part trying to get people built up. And I'm starting to get it in the board game world. But really, the role-playing games take more commitment because you have to be, you know, yep. get people who are willing to, at a bare minimum, bare minimum, say, two, three hours. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, you know, I had this conversation with a coworker. uh actually just this Friday because her daughter was wanting to get into role-playing games and she didn't know where to start. Yeah. It, I mean, I will say that, that it's been uh, kind of the experiment for me has been finding that system that I can show people. It's not all just what you think it is. It's not, everything doesn't look the same. And so I, well, so basically that, so basically what it came down to was I started telling people like, Oh, Hey, I can give you a role-playing game where you're all playing as mice. Oh, a mouse you're... guard? M- mouse guard. And they're like, really? I said, no, seriously, you, you can play as mice fighting you know, in the woods to try and go from, from big tree to big tree and protecting people in between there. And they're like, huh. I go, yeah, your main enemies are like things like ferrets. And they're like, really? <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah, just, it's, it, just, it's... it gets people knocked off guard as the, hey, you know... Everything's D and D, and they right. they have a lot of, of stigma and stereotype that comes along with a D and D game that isn't necessarily there. Yeah, it's um, if I can quote, I believe Chad from Fear the Boot, which m- many of our listeners and I hope some of yours at least know is kind of the premier RPG podcast out there. Um, Dan Repiger, its founder, was our first guest host. We're very fortunate there. Uh, he's actually a deacon in his church. Great guy. Probably a lot more scriptural knowledge than. Peter, Brandon, and I combined. Oh, almost certainly. Just an incredible guy. Um, but Chad, one of his co-hosts, basically described the, the D&D dilemma that we have, as gamers have, which is basically we have to say, okay, 
Or imagine this conversation. I'm going to go watch a movie. A movie? What's that? You know, like Pulp Fiction. Well, what's the problem with that? Everybody thinks, oh, all movies are like Pulp Fiction. They're broken into three acts. They're violent. They're all about, you know, drugs and this crazy chaos, and they end on a weird note, and they're not necessarily temporally aligned. But that's not true at all. And that that's fine if you like Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. but if you go in saying, I don't like Pulp Fiction, all movies are like Pulp Fiction, therefore I hate all movies. Yes, and you see the problem. Because I wrote down a list from memory of probably 30 different games, right? Many of which are nothing like D&D, or its equivalent Pathfinder, and... But, you know, I have to drag people's interests out of them in order to say, oh, you might like this game. Because they very often shut down and think, well, it's D&D or other stuff. Board games, Magic of the Gathering, things mm-hmm. like that. Video games. So, I, I know I've, I've played uh, Victoriana, which is a kind of a steampunk, I, I, I call it steampunk Shadowrun. Because it, it it's a from what I've experienced and what I've heard of Shadowrun, it's a very similar system. You use a lot of d sixes to to toss out successes and fails. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've also I've picked up Numenera, which I haven't played a full game of Numenera yet, and I really want to. Which is Monty Cook's newest game. I've I've played I a little even bit. Gotten a chance to look at the book for that, and I'm oh, really anxious to. I got it's to look at a so sneak good. peek. It's interesting. Um, I would have to sit down and play it before I said I liked it or not. Well, I like just like a lot of what ideas, like a lot of what yeah. Monty Cook does, it's more about setting than game. If that makes sense, that it, makes a lot it, of sense. It definitely is a lot of play in this world. Play in this world. Look at this cool thing, without necessarily tying it all together. Which I'm okay with because, quite frankly, if if I have the ability to make my own stuff, that's just better for me anyway. Like right. I, I get really annoyed when I'm playing like D and D and like a specific section of D and D. Like, oh, we're only playing this, and these are the cities, and these are the people, and you have to know these people and cities. Oh yeah, yeah. One of the funny things about D and D is that very often there is as much setting crunch as there is system crunch to learn. Okay, how do people interact in this particular place? Who are the power brokers? Who are people I need to look out for? Who are people I can kind of step on? You know, what's my position in the world? When does the train come? There's a lot of setting you have to know. Uh, That's especially true of published settings, but really even stuff you're coming up with on the fly, you eventually have to learn. It's easier as you come up, you know, if you come up with it as you go, but it's a problem. And D&D and a lot of other games like it, they make their money off of the crunch, right? They sell books full of character options, combat stuff, maps. They sell miniatures. They spell, yeah, books full of magic items. I mean, when I was playing D&D 3.5, we would show up with a crate of books for our campaign. Mm -hmm. It's just the way it works. And that's what they made their money on. Um, but even without that, the funny thing about D&D is that it's not really my ideal starting point for gamers. And it's unfortunate in some ways that it is a very common starting point because I think it creates bad habits if you sort of run it wrong. 
What and I'm going to say wrong. Your ideal starting point for gamers, Grant? Yeah, I was just, I was just you to know, say, it's like, going to depend on a lot on what somebody's existing interests are. You know, if someone's a big Star Wars fan, well, you know, Star Wars Edge of the Empire is a great place to start. It gets them into the, the concept. Um, if someone is big on anime, I'll say, oh, yeah, anime prime, you know, anima prime. It's a great lightweight system. Um, if they suggest anima beyond fantasy, I will take the book from them and smack them upside the head with it because it doesn't do math. Uh, anima prime is a system that tries to be a JRPG in a book uh, with all of the large numbers inherent to JRPGs. The, and the over 9,000 problem. Um, kind of the over 255 as a stat problem. Um, oh and also the, if you roll a one, it's really a minus three. And if you roll a 10, it's really a 13. And if you roll a one on a D 100, it's really a minus 15. A two is minus 10. A three is a minus five. It's that complicated. Just made my brain hurt. Oh, and it's class based. There's only 30 classes. <laughs> All right. So let's go back to some positive stuff. Yeah. Okay. Like- let's talk about a good game, which is anima prime, not anima beyond fantasy. Uh, it's by Christian Griffin. Who's a really interesting author it's a great lightweight system if they're interested in anime or jrpgs that's where i'd go with that if it's um more traditional japanese feudal japan legend of the five rings great place to start um history ars magica is actually an interesting uh place to start because it's quasi-historical fantasy set in kind of the middle ages I would say for history, uh, you could also do worse than to go with one of the GURPS historical settings. Well, GURPS, listen, we almost have to talk about GURPS as its own thing <laughs> because there's so much of it. Yeah, and uh, we probably Westerns, should. Yeah, we should. Westerns, uh, Aces and Eights, Dogs in the Vineyard, Deadlands, uh, kind of depending on the exact stuff that they want. You know, if they want f- uh, kind of a fantasy horror Western, Deadlands is great. If they want a very realistic Western setting, Aces and Eights, uh, which uses transparent um, targets for your dice, which is really cool. Basically, you lay it on top of an outline. The center is a 25. You're rolling a D20 plus modifiers, right? If you get 25 or better, you hit your target. If you roll something below that, there's a, a radiating ring outward, basically showing where the shot actually lands. Huh. So it's, okay, I want to shoot the gun out of his hand. But you roll really badly. Oh, that shot him in the neck. Yeah. And it's right there, right? Like your your transparency that you're laying on top of this outline is right there. And uh, the, the company that makes it, which escapes me at the moment, they make all sorts of different silhouettes that you can use, like people peering around corners with guns, people on horses, all this cool stuff. Uh, I, it's a really think, neat thing. I think Aces Nates, isn't that Kenzerco? Uh, yes, Kenzer. Thank you. I, uh, I will say that, you know, I, I had a whole a nice new appreciation. Job. Sorry, go ahead. I had a whole new appreciation for the Kenzer stuff because I got to meet, like, all of the people who made Kenzer at last Gen Con. It was, I, I, I mentioned it in past episodes. Basically, Derek White said, hey, Mike, I'm going to dinner with some people. You want to come? And I wasn't doing anything. So I said, yeah, sure. And I go, why are all these names sounding vaguely familiar to me? And they're like, oh, yeah, he did Aces and Eights. She does this one. He does that one. I'm like, <laughs> I I don't deserve to be at this table. <laughs> yeah, the old can I touch you problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I hear you. Um, horror. You know, 
it's kind of the other big starting point, but the World of Darkness games are not a bad place to start. You know? Um, give, give a kind of a uh, a pitch for World of Darkness, because that encompasses some some crazy stuff. It does. It's a very big thing. The World of Darkness is really White Wolf's setting. Then they yeah. have specific games that deal with specific parts of that. And in many ways they deal with the same concepts, but from different perspectives and with different paradigms, you might say where when you're playing werewolf, it's this very feral us versus this hideous, toxic evil that's polluting the world. It's got this very environmentalist take on it. You know, mages. Oh, well, here's a source of power, and I'm going to do this and this, and this is evil, but it's the sa- it's the same evil, but interpreted very differently. It's the same problem, but looked at through completely different lenses. Um, and it's ever you know the the big names are Vampire the Masquerade. Um, I forget what the New World of Darkness name is for it. And Requiem, sorry, I think. It's there we go, something like that. Yeah. Um, but there are a whole bunch of them. Um, Honestly, you can play as horror. I think my first choice would be Don't Rest Your Head. It's a neat. Don't setting. Rest Your Head is a good one. It's got cool mechanics, and it's a yes, tiny I love little mechanics. book, which means you don't have to absorb a lot before you can start playing. I think that's a really good place. To start. Yeah, um, and in fact, it works very well as a one-on-one or two-on-one kind of game. It works. It's one of the systems I've found that works exceptionally well with a very small number of players. Um, And that's by evil hat, uh, which is the same company that made fate. So, you know, they're good for it. So you're you're talking about about horror games and and I, there's a game that I've wanted to try because we're talking about games that kind of go outside of the, the average concept of role-playing games. And so a lot of people, when even, even people who know more than D and D think that you have to roll dice. Um, There's a game, there's a game that I've heard about, and I, the second I heard about it, it was oddly, oddly enough on Fear of the Boot, I immediately wanted to play it, because instead of using dice, there's a Jenga tower. You're talking about Dread. Yes, I am. Dread is amazing. Give, give the listeners, because I'm, I'm fascinated right. by this, but I've never played it, so I haven't been able to talk about yeah, it. I haven't either. I was fortunate enough to play it at Fear the Con 5, uh, and play a very good game run by somebody who has run the same session at a couple of different Fear the Cons four different people and it always turns you know as these things do that always turns out very differently every time you do it it's fun to see so the way dread works <laughs> is it uses a jenga tower for its resolution mechanic basically when you're doing things and when you do something that ri- has some sort of risk involved you pull a block from the tower if it's exceptionally risky you pull two maybe even three but usually it's just one right and it keeps going up. And what this does, it, this, this does a couple of things. First of all, when the tower falls, generally speaking, that means something horrible happens to your character at that, mo- at that point because whatever you were risking, it failed, right? So maybe, oh, your character's dead and you're out of the game if somebody's really boring. Um, generally speaking, good dread GMs are a lot more inventive. Uh, for example, in the zombie survival game we were playing, the one time the tower fell, the GM ruled that the scared kid behind the door thought, you know, the guy, uh, the player who's, who had knocked the tower over thought his character was a zombie and shot the shotgun through the door and got him in the stomach. 
So oh, it was basically, yeah. So it was basically, all right. They drag you in, and after a couple of t- you know, after a couple tense hours, they stabilize you. If you do anything else that would require a pull from the tower, your character won't make it. They're going to overstress themselves. But you get to sit here and talk, and you know, be a drain on the zombie survival resources and all this other good stuff, right? So still in it, but really not adding anything to it. Well, no, they're adding role-playing. Dread is a very role-playing heavy system. Um, You're adding plot, basically. Well, he was adding difficulty. We have to take care of this guy. He's not out of it. His mind is still useful. He can think, but he's also getting bitter because he can't go out and help. He can't search for uh, people. He's only consuming resources. He's not getting any more. You know, it turned into this whole thing. It's really cool. The other thing about Dread is think about the physical nature of what you're doing, right? Uh, oh, yeah. You're pulling from it, and if you knock it over, something terrible is going to happen. So your hands start shaking a little bit, and you get nervous, and every time you make that pull, you get a little more nervous, and the tower is getting higher, and the tension builds, and the tension builds, and the tension builds, and then all of a sudden, boom, it falls. What just happened? We've basically mirrored the rising tension, rising tension, rising tension, climax release, of a horror movie and that happens a couple of different times right any good horror story builds tension and then releases and then builds to a greater tension and then releases and more and releases and people fall off and bad things happen and you have the survivors who are left over i I just love the fact that i love the fact that it's a jenga tower yeah it's great fantastic um some people were very fortunate and got the uh black Jenga tower that the the company released sometime back, and that's perfect for Dread. That was actually um, a Barnes & Noble exclusive. We was had it? Them. Neat. Yeah. yeah, we had them for yeah. a while. Cool. And that's a spooky-looking Jenga that makes, tower, too. <laughs> it really is. It's great. The other thing that makes Dread work so well is that character creation is done through a questionnaire made of loaded questions. Right. Uh, there are no stats, because really, it's did you knock the tower over or not? Right. So to come up with the character, basically the GM comes up with questions that will lead this character in a particular way. Maybe the character already has a name, maybe not. Tends to already have one. Anyway, the thing you know, so the questionnaire may contain questions like why are you so hesitant to go back to your hometown? Why do you hate your job? What's the best thing about living in New York City? It's these loaded leading questions that have something built in. Like, okay, why do I hate my job? Well, that means I'm employed. It means I have a job I don't really like. But why is all sorts of creative room for me to come up with something, right? Maybe I don't like my boss. Maybe I feel like I'm a terrible person for working here. Maybe it's uh, I don't make enough money. Whatever it is says a lot about the character. But you've got some baselines already made on the GM side. So Dread is a great system. I highly recommend it. It's a cheap, thin little book, too. It's production quality is pretty good. Uh, when I say cheap, I mean inexpensive. Well worth picking up. And I encourage everybody to do so and then go buy a Jenga tower. And never play Jenga with it, because that's a terrible game. But Dread is awesome. <laughs> um, I, I, I've decided that I will never play Jenga again once I discovered the wonder that is Click Clack Lumberjack, which... Hard to argue with you. Yeah, it's fantastic. You get a tiny little axe and you get to chop down a tree. It's genius. Yeah. I saw the uh, the shut up and sit down for it. It it looks hilarious. It looks amazing. 
but I, I kind of wanted to do this when it comes to these role-playing... Because, Luke, as you said, you haven't really played a, lumber, uh, a Lumberjack. I've got that on the mind now. <laughs> you haven't... You've actually probably played a Lumberjack <laughs> recently. What I'm saying is you haven't played a role-playing game in a while. And so... I haven't. I think it's probably been at least a year since I've played a... Well, you know what? Um, I think the last time I played a role-playing game was at Kublacon, and Kublacon's coming up uh, this month. So there you go. About a year. So, so I, I was kind of thinking, uh, Luke, if, if there was something that you would be looking for in a role-playing experience... Well, I'm going to Kubla in a couple weeks here, and you know I, anybody who's ever been to a, a gaming tournament, this is more of a board game tournament, but you know that there's all kinds of events going on, and that quite a few of them are, and let's see, uh, 238 of them are role-playing games. But the thing is, with KublaCon, is it's so full, you really have to sign up. And, in fact, it's a randomized Ooh. lottery kind of a system in terms of where you can get in uh, to these games. And so I kind of want to have some, some I don't know, guidance as to which games... I sign up for knowing right. that I might not well, even get into. I'll go that. back to my original suggestion regarding cons. Anything you haven't played before? I would say anything that you haven't played before that sounds interesting thematically. Well, yes. I mean, if it's you know wall painting and watching paint dry, the RPG, <laughs> maybe not. Okay, but I mean, it, it even goes further than that because there were a bunch at the latest Fear the Con that were based on like My Little Pony or. 80s cartoons that I didn't watch or other stuff that I have like other outside media that I have no baseline with. I don't yeah, think I'd we, have much fun uh, in Fear those. the Con. Fear the Con has a lot of uh, pop culture reference games. It's interesting that way. I blame Mikey Mason personally. Yeah. Um, Mikey Mason's a great geek comedian. Well, uh, if you can tolerate strong language, well worth listening to. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, you got to be interested in the topic material, right? You got to be think, oh, hey, maybe this is a good game. But I would say find games you haven't played before, because one of the best things that helped me was going to Fear the Con, and I haven't been able to go in the past year or two, and it's really upset me. But um, going to conventions and playing under different GMs, under different systems, um, I would eventually like to run a game. But cons like this are so good at learning how to play better and play differently and be a a smart game master and a smart player because you're seeing basically people who have tried all sorts of different things from all over the country come in and run things their way uh like this dread game that i played the guy had you know a map already laid out and he was really sharp with everything i uh, played another game where it was just all right you know what y'all sit back tell me what's going on um very loose game that one actually was using pathfinder and all we ever really ended up doing was looking at our stats and going yeah i think i could do that but it was still just as much fun i played in a uh, uh survival horror game with johan lubbering from uh fear the boot as one of the other players and i picked up some good tricks from him <laughs> yeah I, I played a paranoia game where a guy brought <laughs> in an, an ai that was a chatbot basically that he'd fed Time Cube and all of GLaDOS's lines from Portal into oh, as no. seed material. Oh, Bob and that was friend Yeah, yeah, it was Bob Aaron's. That was friend computer for our game. We would ask the computer a question, he would type it in, and whatever the response was, that's what we had to deal with. 
Time Cube, for those of you who might not understand, is a bunch of random gibberish. It's not it's not actually random gibberish. A guy actually sat down and wrote it, but if you're reading In all it, caps. it might as well be random gibberish. Yes. Um, understand that time and the earth has four why. sides, and you're stupid and probably a filthy person. <laughs> That's basically the essence of Time Cube, as near as I can understand. So, yeah, that was that was the computer. It was a fascinating way to run a game. And Paranoia, because it's this kind of dark humor sort of game, um, it, was a, it was all about off-the-cuff, yeah, sure, that works, and this happens kind of gaming. What, you know, what's commonly referred to as yes-and gaming really loosened me up as a GM. I didn't ha- you know, once I kind of saw how it really worked firsthand, I didn't have to have everything planned out anymore. I just was like, okay, yeah, that works, and... This seems like the logical consequence or the illogical fun consequence. Let's run with it. Well, how, how about this? Um, that All this sounds great, and I will encourage anybody to just play in the craziness that is cons at any given moment. I was just telling these guys yep. before we started recording that I'm hoping, because I haven't played in a Numenera game, I'm hoping to sign up for one at Gen Con so that I can see the system played. But just for the sake of it, especially because we've got some listeners, we have some hardcore role players, we have a lot of, you know, a lot of times we talk about uh, the different systems that we're playing and the different gaming stories that we've got going. Uh, I've had a a number of emails with guys who, you know, especially when I get annoying talking about Drogon and how he's the coolest character ever. You know, people talk about the fact that they, they've gotten into this and everything. But we also have Good. a lot of people that role-playing might be new to them, or they're trying to figure it out. Like, every time we have a and d episode, there's at least that one guy who says, I've never thought about getting into role-playing, but I kind of want to. So, Actually, we have a lot more people who say, I would love to do that, right? Right. but something's so holding I me just, back. I, I kind of want to gonna narrow it down. Like, let's give, just give an example. Like, how about we'll, we'll keep Luke? We'll keep you as the kind of the the example right now, just because it, it's been working. So, like, let's say Luke is never played a role playing game before. How would you kind of help him narrow down? Okay, Luke, you ever done any acting? I suppose I was a little bit in high school. And... Okay, do you like being silly? A little bit. Okay, go play Fiasco. <laughs> Fiasco is a, a game, I say a game, there's a lot of debate in RPG circles about whether or not Fiasco qualifies as a game. I think it's not quite an actual game because there's no resolution mechanic, only storytelling mechanics, right? Terrible no, things will happen. Well, kind of. It's a Coen Brothers movie simulator. Um, <laughs> it, not my line, but true enough. Basically, it's a storytelling game of needs and relationships and the terrible things people will do to satisfy those needs and relationships with a side helping of wackiness. Played in a couple of fiasco games. I think my favorite uh, was one I did with the postcards from the Dungeon Guys. It was so intense and such wonderful role playing. We all stood up and high fived and hugged after the game with cheers and shouting. Right. It was the most incredible role playing experience I've ever had. And Fiasco is basically a storytelling kind of thing where you basically decide, all right, I'm going to either set the scene and you guys determine how this, you know, how the scene should end and we'll role play it out. Or I will deal with whatever you guys say the scene is and I'll decide how the scene ends. And you kind of go back and forth kind of around the table that way and end up telling a story with a particular setting 
Um, the setting is all basically determined with dice rolls at the start of the game. Uh, everybody sort of picks and chooses from, and the needs and relationships and uh, all that good stuff are determined as well. So it's very much a improv storytelling with a little bit of game in it, and it's a great way to loosen yourself up for role-playing, to get into the idea of it, to set some good habits, basically role-playing instead of rolling dice and saying, uh, I hit him. Yeah. <laughs> so let me throw out another kind of similar question for you guys, a situation I get a lot. So let's say you've got maybe two or three people, and they've never played a role-playing game in their life. They're interested in doing it, but they don't want to just show up at their friendly local game store and be like, hey, can I play in a game? They're, they're a little too shy to do that. Understandable. So they think, like, uh, you know, they, they have this normal geeking, geekery that we all do, right? They grew up, they, they watch Star Wars, they, they love Lord of the Rings, and, uh, you know, maybe they're into comic books, whatever. Uh, but they go, one of them, you know, maybe goes to the friendly local game store and looks at Pathfinder, looks at D&D, looks at the Game Master's Guide and goes, oh, I can't do this. This is way too much. What would you recommend well, for that two or three people group who've never played before? Something that like maybe doesn't have a game master or it, who is maybe a little bit more kind of group driven. Uh, something mm-hmm. that they can try for their first experience in role playing. Sure. Inspectors is a great choice. It's I-N-S-P-E-C-T-R-E-S. Think uh, Ghostbusters franchising and Paranormal Pest Exterminator. Awesome. <laughs> it's great. The book is about as thin as a credit card. It's an incredibly small book. Um, only uses D6s, so you don't need to go get weird special dice. You can just get the dollar store poker dice and be perfectly happy. And so your upfront investment is minimal. There's a GM who comes up with stuff, but, you know, we've all seen Ghostbusters, right? You, know, you kind of know how this works. We've all seen pest control people. We know how that works. So, you know, we all understand the idea of hauntings that turn out to be something a little weirder. It all, you know, so there's no, there's no real setting to learn. Like I was talking about setting crunch a while back. I think inspectors is a great one because it's just the world. It's us except slightly weirder. And with a vampire problem in the backyard that, needs spraying um and there's actually mechanics for having a franchise so you have a group template where you're trying to keep your franchise in business and doing well and growing i love that that's awesome it's a wonderful game cheap like i said doesn't take a lot of cost because you know trying to get into pathfinder well it's 90 dollars worth of books for the gm because we'll need the player guide the gm guide and the monster manual and then someone else will probably want the player's guide and maybe someone else and all of a sudden you're looking at 150 dollars to start having fun i can go right. even less expensive than that i can go free we love free todd zerker's the trouble with rose would be a great place for some brand new excellent choice to too. I, i've never like i've never heard of that one well it's an online pdf i believe maybe just its own I website todd zercher the, uh, link into the um, yeah the chat for the show notes and let me give todd a plug real quick todd zercher maintains a list in the rpg the fear the boot forums if you go to fear the boot.com click on their forums link go to the R- role-playing game section the first pinned link up there is the big list of role-playing games and it's this massive list of rpgs 
and descriptions. And Todd curates that list, and it's rock solid. It's a great list. If you're looking for, oh, that seems interesting, great place to go to. Uh, we'll send you the link so you can put it in the show notes. Um, Excellent. Solid. Anyway, Downloading Peter, it right now. Trouble with Rose. Okay, so I've played, um, I've played two different games of it. Uh, one was, I think, probably the single best RPG setting I have ever played in my life. Uh, the other one was not quite that good, but was still solid. And it's it's a very simple, um, narrative-focused game. All you need is a deck of cards and a set of dominoes, actually. And um, you basically use the, um, the cards and the dominoes with, like, a scenario that's presented as kind of the cues for your character's motivations and your goals as the character, as the story progresses... And then people just go back and forth, setting up scenes and reacting to each other. It's it's really a very simple, fluid, fun game that tends to generate very good stories that are memorable and make even me, who doesn't really like actual plays, wish that there was a tape recorder in the middle of the table when they're done. So Yeah. I'm immediately yeah. intrigued because I've been looking for ages... I've always thought that a deck of cards would make a fantastic uh, randomizing agent in a role-playing game, but I can't find... Oh, yeah. You don't really use it as a randomizing agent, though. You uh, you use it to find out your um, motivation, really, at the beginning. So I yeah. suppose it's it's not an ongoing randomizing agent, I should say. It's yeah. used right. once at the beginning And there are actually the a lot of games out there that use uh, decks of cards, different decks of cards, actually. Some Savage use tarot Worlds cards. Some many initiative. Yeah, which is really cool because it's basically you deal out initiative cards to everybody. It's just, yeah, who's got the highest? Oh, you got the Joker. That means you can go whenever you want, including interrupting someone else's turn. Cool. All yeah. right. And that, that that's really cool. I'm really fascinated with uh, uh, Mike Rahulik of Penny Arcade is developing one based on the... Uh, yeah, the CCG model, uh, Thornwatch. Yeah, he's doing Thornwatch. Yeah, it's which- kind of the Dominion style sort of thing where you're building your deck and your deck changes as you go, but it's your deck, basically. Yeah, and The Lookouts is an amazing spinoff of their comic strip, and Mm -hmm. that world is fascinating, so I'm definitely looking at Thornwatch for the future. If you want to talk about games that have interesting mechanics, and you want to talk about very inexpensive, and you want to talk about rock-solid and that has a lot of interaction between the players and GMs that isn't adversarial, it's hard to go wrong with Fate Core. Yeah. Fate. Okay. Um, you will need special dice that you can get at your local game store or online. They Perfect. are dice. Fudge dice. Yeah, they're fudge right. dice because the original fudge system used them. They're D6s with, instead of numbers, two pluses, two minuses, and two blank faces. Uh, there are guides online, however, for using a Sharpie to turn your standard dollar store D6s into fudge dice. So oh, nice. it's kind of cool. Yeah, um, that's how I made mine. Basically, Sharpie and a ruler. They look great. Nice, big, fat, readable symbols. So I'm, I, I, I will have to look that up because uh, I, I got in on the Kickstarter. Our uh, website contributor, our, he was one of our first interviews, uh, T. Morris and, and Pip Ballantyne, uh, they have the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences books. And cool. they recently had a ministry role playing game that's getting kicked that it, well, it was kickstarted. It's coming out soon, and it runs off of Fate. And so I'm like, yeah. crap! I need fudge dice. <laughs> yeah. The nice thing about Fate, 
that like Savage Worlds, like GURPS, it's a universal system. Mm-hmm. Um, GURPS is not quite as universal in some ways. I'll let Peter talk more about GURPS. He's played it. I haven't. I've actually uh, and P- Peter actually, too. yeah, Peter has actually contributed to GURPS, which is pretty cool. Um, but Fate Core is, you know, it's a very solid system. It's got a tiny bit of crunch, but not very much. And for people who don't know the term, crunch is basically rules you have to know in order to play the game or, you know, be able to look up at a moment's notice. Um, games like Dungeons and Dragons with movement rules and range and, you know, who can do what, when, and counting actions and all that, they're kind of crunch-heavy. Lots of stats you have to be juggling at once. Less crunchy systems have minimal stats that you're keeping track of at any given time. And that so, would be the just a, a quick trouble with Rose into the spectrum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those don't have any right. uh, crunch, really. And Fate Core is very minimal crunch you can go even lighter than that with fate accelerated which is a great in my opinion it's a great con game because you kind of make up things as you go in some cases um so you can have kind of the the outline of a character but people can fill in the character as they play and it's even fewer stats and it's very simple great for a quick pickup game uh, okay we we are we're quickly approaching we're quickly approaching the hour and so I want to okay. make sure that that we kind of I, I kind of want to bring this to a close. It's going to take us a while, but I do want to start getting here. So there's really two things I want to end on, and you can either have an opinion or not. But there's two. One I <laughs> I, I want to get I want to get one off the wall. Nobody knows about this game, but it's it's a great game uh, recommendation. And I'll actually start with that one, so it gives you guys a, a second to think about it. And okay. don't have to go into too long of, of a long-winded speech about it, but just just throw it out there and give the pitch. And for me, that game is Everyone is John. Good choice. The, con- the concept of Everyone is John is that you, every player in the game is one of John's personalities, and you are all fighting for control of John. Yes. And, it uses a single D6 for the yep. table as its as its um, resolution mechanic. So everything is every, – every personality has a goal ranging from I want to get John a girlfriend all the way up to I want to blow up a building. Like everything in between. And you are basically doing what you can to, to vie for control of John and bring him to your goal. I It's ridiculous. It's – insane but oh my goodness it i've some of the most fun i've ever had trying to be a personality of one person sweet i've already given mine the trouble with rose i think that's the one i'm gonna stick with okay it it sounds fantastic so i it I is totally really like that <laughs> I, I honestly i i would say that has probably the highest consistent results of any small rpg i've ever played Hard to argue with that. Luke, you got a recommendation? Well, like I said, I've only played maybe three role-playing game systems in my whole life, so uh, this is not my area of expertise. I'll leave this to you guys. Okay. Which of those three did you like Uh, the most? That you would be like, oh, hey, I really want to play this more. You know, I I think, uh, for me, the Star Wars system is probably the one I enjoyed the most. Um, Edge of the Empire? Just because... No, it was the the original one. Um, Oh, WEG D6 Star Wars? Yeah, and uh, basically just because I enjoy playing a Wookiee. Okay. <laughs> How can you not? <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, I guess that leaves me, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You know, it's it's a hard choice for me. I'm not not going to lie. I think I'm going to recommend Nemesis. Nemesis is a free game put out by Greg Stolze, uh, who was an Unknown Armies writer, uh, has done Delta Green, a lot of Delta Green work um, for Call of Cthulhu-like stuff, kind of modern Call of Cthulhu instead of 1920s Lovecraft. Um, Nemesis is a horror game, so if you got if you like horror and somewhat Lovecraftian sorts of things, and that's your way to get into the hobby, awesome. Um, it ha- it uses the insanity system from Unknown Armies, which was an excellent and overlooked game in its own right, but it uses that, which is a lot more complicated and in-depth and really gives your character interesting progressions in multiple ways as you go crazy from dealing with things beyond Mortal Reckoning. Uh, and it also uses the one-roll engine system for everything else, which is gritty and a little bit scary. You know, you, you don't have hundreds of hit points to soak damage with. You're not this invincible warrior dude. You're just kind of a scared guy with flesh that hurts a lot. Uh, and it's great for horror uh, settings like that. And because it's free, I think it's a great game to pick up for people. It's just you need a fistful of D10s and you're ready to go. Nice. All right. The the, the next thing... You mentioned it earlier. There was a, a just a, a phrase you kind of threw out there right at the, at the very beginning. Basically, says that everyone should be, and you use the word "should." Everyone should be role playing. Yes, I I yeah. can totally back that. I'll, I will totally back that statement. But kind of, I wanted to hear from you guys, especially. Uh, why do you? I mean, you guys, your whole podcast is fashioned around role playing games, so. I mean, we, well, I'd we, like to, in our defense, I think it's fashioned around our faith and role-playing games. And, and that is of exactly... Of the two, yes. <laughs> one of those really does come first. So Yeah. Um, I, would, I would say for just kind of the preamble, um, we did some episodes that deal with this a little bit. And if you really want to hear our opinions in, in depth on this... Um, episodes 1, 25, and which one was Derek White? 38 or 39? Uh, 39? Okay. 38. I'm not sure. uh, He's recent. He's really recent. Go listen to it. Our first episode, our episode with Jack Birkenstock, which was 25, and our episode with Derek White cover this in great mm-hmm. detail we're just going to give you kind yeah. of a as does our episode with here. dan repiger actually yeah our episode yeah. with dan repiger did it too yep so anyway go look through our backlog they're all good you should listen to all of them <laughs> saving <laughs> the game podcast.org plugging ourselves um right I, I, hmm, boy where do we even start uh, <laughs> i'll tell you where i'll start i'll tell you exactly where i'll start there's a quote from that's we use all the time from c.s lewis ah, yes The value of myth is that it takes all the things you know and restores to them the rich significance which has been hidden by the veil of familiarity. Or to put it in slightly more modern English, it's very easy to get bored with the same lessons you hear over and over and over and the mundane sameness of the life that you lead around you. And... When you're playing a role-playing game, when you're stepping into someone else's shoes, a person that you are creating and carrying around in your head and your friends' heads, you get a chance to relearn all of those things, to tell stories that are familiar, because they're coming from you. They're you 
as might have happened somewhere else, right? You can never play a character that doesn't have any element of you in it. And you're exploring stories that relate to your life in some way. And, you know, it may be a high fantasy game where you're dealing with dragons and otherworldly worldly creatures and, you know, plunging into the darkest depths of terrible places to bring light there or perhaps the other way around. But it's all ultimately relates back to you and those stories that you are participating in change you. So one of the things that we try and do is talk about telling the right kinds of stories, not necessarily, you know, that everything has to have the the Christian brand on it, but telling stories that help you as a Christian. Maybe, you know, you need a chance to be someone else for a little while and understand them. Maybe you need to work out issues. One of the things that I've been so happy that we got a chance to do is talk with Jack Birkenstock, who's the executive director of the Bodana Group, who uses role, he uses role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games, as therapy for sexually abused children and children who are sex abusers. And it's a way to deal with those demons or learn how to put those demons aside. Maybe it's reinforcing good things. Maybe it's taking away reinforcement from bad things, whatever it needs to be. Maybe you want to learn how to be someone else. Maybe you just need to escape for a little bit. Sometimes that's okay, too. Escapism, in moderation, not a terrible thing. Yeah, I mean, video and games do the same thing. So. Right. And you're doing this in a small community of people who are doing it with you. There is no thing as a role pl- There's no such thing as a role-playing game that you do by yourself. There are people who try and sell you that, and all they're really doing is telling, you know, selling you writing prompts and you're doing that in your head and not writing it down and you're missing out on your novel. When you're playing a role-playing game, it's collaborative storytelling and that's what makes it so incredibly valuable. That's why I say people should be playing games. People, the same reason people should be playing board games. There's a fellowship involved and more than that, it's a chance to change you and so chance to relearn the things that you've kind of gotten bored with that have gotten stale. It's the same reason Christ taught in parables to illustrate points that people should know already, but to hear them differently, to hear them again and say, Oh, that's right. It's a new way of looking at things, but it's the same thing I needed to know. And I can get off my pie horse now. (laughs) No, I think that's a, that's about the most perfect explanation that I've ever heard for it. So well done, sir. I, I completely agree, and uh, I'll tell you what, I've learned a lot on this episode, and I'm actually, uh, I, I'm kind of taking a step into role-playing games here. I, while we've been talking, have uh, gone over to uh, Drive Through RPG, uh, which is a, a major site for being able to uh, purchase PDF versions of role-playing game yes. uh, instructions. Maybe there's some folks on our who listen to our show who are more in the board gaming world who don't know about it, so we want to let them know about it. I've yeah. been there, and I've been looking for a game to play with my kids for quite a while now. You, you picked just, up Inspectors, didn't you? Uh, no, I didn't. I actually picked up another game that I've been thinking about buying for a long time, but I just have never gotten Which around one? to do it, called Hero Kids. Uh, Hero Kids is good. and uh, RPG Kids is very good as well. So I'll plug that one too. So we'll see how uh, that goes. I was able to purchase a ginormous amount of content for a very small amount of money, and uh, so hopefully we'll be 
initiating two new uh, members into the role-playing game uh, community here pretty soon. Excellent. That's how you grow your audience right there. Yeah. (laughs) And can I plug DriveThruRPG for something else real quick? DriveThruRPG does a lot of good charitable work. Anytime there's a major disaster of some sort, they put together a bundle that is hundreds of dollars of donated PDFs of all different types, some major core rule books, some little incidental, uh, you know, helper material that people have created at some point, but it ends up being hundreds of dollars worth of value. And they say, Hey, we're going to sell you this for 20 bucks. And every one of those $20 is going for relief efforts for this disaster. Are they the ones who do the, the uh, bundle called bundle of holding? Uh, they are not the bundle of holding people. Okay, well, similar uh, thing. A, a it's a uh, bundle thing. of holding. It's a, it's a similar kind of thing. A little bit like a, an indie bundle, uh, but for role-playing RPGs. games. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us, for being on the show. Grant no, and Peter. Mike, Luke, thank you. Thanks for having from, us. From uh, Saving the Game. And uh, what was your website again? It's savingthegamepodcast.org or inroadsministries.com. And you click on podcasts and saving the game. And you'll go, oh, hey, there's awesome content here, too. Awesome. Thank you. You, you uh, saved me the plug. Uh, and uh, you guys can find out how to hang out with Mike and I uh, at inroadsministries.com slash contact. I don't know. Maybe there, maybe uh, Grant Peter's stuff's on there, too. I have no idea. Uh, Not yet. I, Grant, Grant threatened to write something for this site, but he hasn't come through for it yet. I haven't yet, because it turns out I'm a terrible writer. <laughs> Actually, you're not. I've seen your writing. You're just a, a terribly okay. low self. No, no, you understand. Writer. I am a good wordsmith. I do not have the work habits of a t- of a good writer. <laughs> oh, okay. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> that is a subtle but powerful distinction. It has to be discovery writing, and that's not a good way to be a productive writer. So there you go. Gotcha. All right, anyway. so folks, uh, as always, we remind you: whether you're playing a board game, whether you're playing a role playing game, or something else, just the game of life. That God is the game master, and no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on. Yes, but roll the dice.